Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, helping people find and follow God. In this series, we'll be talking about mental health and the gospel. There is an inseparable link between our mental health and our spiritual health. We hope God's word will speak to you through these messages, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. To find out more about our church, to visit us in person, or to give online, visit threecreekschurch.com. Good morning, everybody. I'm grateful to be here this morning to continue our discussion on mental health. My name is Luke Sargent. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, and I've been doing counseling since about 2013. Uh, I've run a private practice over in Lancaster uh, since that time. And I have the privilege, really the honor, of working with people from all walks of life to help them develop new ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving. And there's been a lot of changes over the field over the past couple of years. Um, And this time of year, especially in January, I always tend to see a uh, spike of something specific. Um, In fact, they say that the third Monday of every January, which was just a week ago, um, they actually coined this term called Blue Monday, which they say is statistically the most depressing and saddest day of the entire year. Okay, and I I can vouch for that. I can say that depression numbers tend to spike a little bit in my office this time of year. But to put this in perspective for you a little bit, if you were even to Google what the number one cause of disability is in the entire world, you're going to find that almost 300 million people suffer from depression. Depression is the number one cause of disability in the entire world. And that's not just mental health. That's that's across the board with any health condition. So the past 10, 15 years, there have been a lot of changes over my field in the mental health landscape. I'm going to focus on the last two specifically, but I do kind of want to point out that 15 years ago, almost to the day, actually, the um, iPhone was released. And there have been a lot of studies that have been done that show when the iPhone was released, um, the amount of users with an iPhone kind of correlated with the amount of people reporting significant symptoms of depression and anxiety. Now, since March 2020, a lot of changes have taken place, okay? We don't like to hear that term, 2020, but a lot of changes took place in the mental health landscape. I want to share a little bit about, you know, what I have seen from, from my office and also some of the uh, statistics as well. I thought it'd be good for us to um, kind of relate a little bit to each other here. And I, I came up with a couple of phrases, actually. These are from the words of my clients over the past couple of years. I was trying to think, if I could define for you what the last two years, especially the last year, has been like uh, from using the words of my clients, okay? The, the, the number one phrase I have heard, I just don't feel like myself. I just don't feel like myself. And the second one definitely is nothing feels normal. Okay, and how many of you can relate to that? Sense of normalcy is disrupted. I don't feel like myself anymore. What we're essentially saying is that I have lost control. I've essentially lost control. And when that happens, it opens up the door to several things. Opens up the door to a lot of mental health problems. I think Joel kind of hit this a couple weeks ago, this theme of anger. Over the past couple of years, it opens up the door to a lot of anger. Mental health, mental illness, is not a one-size-fits-all problem, okay? Not a one-size-fits-all problem, especially with depression and suicide, which we're going to start that discussion today. There can be many reasons for it, okay? Uh, Brain chemistry, um, genetics play a role, trauma background, uh, personal choices, they all play a role in why we feel the way that we feel. But mental illness does not discriminate. And what I mean by that is I've had more people come in my office over the last year who are your have-it-all-together type of people, 
Okay, even other counselors, pastors, um, CEOs, superintendents come in and say, you know, I do not feel like myself. I'm having thoughts that I've never had before, thoughts of, of death, thoughts of, of suicide, which can be kind of scary. Okay, and so mental illness is also not something you can really see. It lurks underneath the surface, uh, but it presents itself in very external ways through our words, our relationships, our self-talk. And so what happens when we are faced with this loss of control? Okay, what happens is underneath the surface, all that's there comes up. And our foundation, our faith in Christ gets tested in a lot of ways. This is often where I think the church has kind of struggled to find its place with this discussion. So most churches, not most, but a lot of churches, just avoid it, just avoid the topic completely, okay? But it's so important that we lead the charge on this. I'm going to put in perspective for you here. One in five adults live with a mental illness. That's 20%. So think about this. Every five people in your row that you're sitting in is living with a mental illness, okay? 5% of all adults live with, live with what's called a serious mental illness, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, something severe that affects their lives every single day. Now, during the pandemic, specifically, um, there's been a huge increase of anxiety and depression. There was a poll that was taken right before the pandemic that said 11% of all adults reported significant symptoms of mental health, uh, primarily anxiety and depression. At the peak of the pandemic, that went up to 41%, okay? And then young adults have been hit probably the hardest, 18 to 25-year-olds. Um, they say there's been, uh, you know, about 56% of all young adults have reported those same symptoms. Additionally, uh, 13% of all adults have reported new or increased substance abuse since the pandemic. Because when you're suffering mentally and you don't know what to do with it, that loss of control kicks in, we turn to unhealthy means of coping. I have a stat up here behind me that shows um, in 2019, actually right before the pandemic hit, there were almost 48,000 suicides in the United States, okay? And that's a 35% increase over 20 years, okay? Since about the turn of the century, there has steadily been an increase of suicide, not just in our country, but around the world, all right? Now, to give some positive news today, not just all doom and gloom, over the, the course of the pandemic, there has been a surprise. There have, they actually just reported the second year in a row, there was a slight decrease of suicides in our country by about 3%, which is, which is great news. And there is a reason for that I'll get to here in a minute. But there is one subgroup in there I want to kind of point out, that as suicide rates have kind of dropped the past couple of years, one group has suffered the most, all right? 10 to 14-year-old boys. For some reason, the past couple of years, there's been a 13% increase of suicides. To put this in perspective for you, and I'm not lying when I say this, as I'm on the phone with Joel uh, a few weeks ago, we're kind of going over some of this, and I get a text message as I'm on the phone with him from a mom of a former client of mine. Um, now he's 14, and she just said, hey, I, I just got a call from the school. They have my son. He, he's suicidal. He wants to kill himself. Okay, and, and this is a good kid, too. Okay, a couple of days later, another call from a mom comes in. Hey, my, my son's best friend, who's 13, just killed himself. Okay. I'm getting more and more calls like this in that particular age group. Hopelessness is a key factor of predicting suicide. And we live in the most probably self-promoted, self-improvement culture we've ever lived in before, yet the hopelessness scales that they measure sometimes with people, they're highest now than they've ever been in recorded history. Okay, so what's this tell us? I think this tells us that the church needs to have this discussion. 
okay? And we got to lead the charge on this, and we can't miss the mark on this because we are all about instilling the hope of Jesus and people when hopelessness is extremely high right now. So despite some of the uh, concerning stats that I shared with you, I think there is a silver lining, all right? This, this loss of control has opened up the door to a couple things. For one, for us to have this discussion, okay? And Joel's going to give us a great uh, topic today to hit that we have got to tackle this as a church because in how it relates to our relationship with Jesus, we're all about instilling hope. But secondly, is for you and for all of us individually, not just to talk about it, but to confront these issues that have surfaced in your life. Many of you maybe know what I'm talking about over the last year. The past two years, the suicide rate has dropped, and that's great news. And the reason is because we're talking about it. All right? It's, it's more normal now to discuss mental health. And I think the pandemic has kind of brought that out, which is definitely a silver lining. Okay? Listen, mental illness is not a one-size-fits-all problem, so it's not a one-size-fits-all solution either. All right, there are many different ways to treat mental illness, but I will say that what we fill our minds with will determine the course of our lives. That's what we can all relate to. Proverbs 4.23 says that. Okay, and so as we continue our discussion today with mental health, I think we need to, to shift our mindsets a bit, and worship is one way of doing that. Okay, all it takes is one change to fill our minds with something to start changing that course for us. So as we worship today, and as we kind of lead into some great testimonies, um, a great message today, would you set your minds on Christ and pray through this message today as, as we have this discussion on depression, on suicide, some very heavy topics, okay? Thank you today for uh, letting me share this. All right, well, good morning. Uh, one more time for Colin and Aaron, yeah? And Luke, thanks for sharing earlier and just setting the stage. Your perspective and your wisdom is, uh, is valuable to me. And, and you kind of referenced our phone call that we had a couple weeks ago. And I just, I've just treasured our time on the phone even, just texting back and forth, sending each other voice memos, and, and I'm learning a lot from you. So... I, uh, it's already, I think it's already past 11 and I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm just going to kind of take what I have prepared and try to condense it and, and only share uh, maybe brief, a, little, a little bit more brief than I planned, but, but also I want to take some of what we've heard today and, and take us to the Bible and, and ask a couple questions and about, you know, what, what does God say about this and, and ground some of how we feel in the truth of God's word. Uh, how many have ever heard a sermon about suicide? If you have, it's likely that it was at a funeral of somebody who did commit suicide. I'd like to be the church that talks about this. I'd like to be the church that proactively talks about caring for people in pain. I'd like to be the church that doesn't ignore it and say we're fine I'd like to be the church that you're allowed to say, I'm not okay. I'd like to be the church that, that walks alongside of people for the rest of their lives, maybe, through whatever they're going through. I, I'd like to have this conversation before the funeral so that as a church, we could be equipped to ask great questions and walk with people through the darkest valleys of their life so that, by the grace of God, we might never have that funeral. We wouldn't have that funeral perhaps, if we had this conversation now, 
about depression and suicide. I believe most of us, if not all of us, have been affected by suicide or an attempted suicide, someone close to us. I believe some of us, and I think more than you think, have had suicidal thoughts. I was having breakfast with somebody this week, a a happy, happy person who you would walk by in the hallway and go, that guy is happy. And I was was explaining some of what I was going to share even today. He said, I've had some of those thoughts. I said, you've had some of those thoughts? He said, yeah, I've had some of those thoughts. And he texted me later. He said, I had some suicidal thoughts when I was single and living alone. It wasn't constant. I wasn't brainstorming ways to end my life, but it was a general feeling of how much more convenient it would have been for everybody else if I wasn't around. And maybe there wouldn't be a lot of people at my funeral anyway. All that to say, I acted the same. I'd been able to fool people because no one knew what I was feeling and it was dangerous. And I'm just telling you, I hear what Luke says and I hear some of these stories and I think that maybe the most dangerous thing would be to be in a place where we couldn't share where we're really at. That is when the danger is at its highest. The time in our country's history that they say was the most depressive or, or the people with the most suicidal was the Great Depression. And the way that they do the statistics, they say that, you know, at 100,000 people in 1930, 100,000 people, 13 of them would commit suicide. That was the number. And in 2020, we're back to 13 for every 100,000 people. But think about this. In 1930, people didn't even have a landline, let alone a cell phone. A lot of the medication that they would use to save people wasn't even invented yet. Antidepressants that are clinically, statistically, no question, proven to help reduce the risk of suicide. They're not even on the scene yet. And so to say it's 13 to 13 is like comparing apples to oranges. There's no way. We are in the greatest depression right now. In the United States, we're the most depressed nation in the world. Did you know that? We're the most depressed nation in the world. And so I'm concerned. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm worried. I don't want to say I'm anxious. I want to, sometimes I feel those things, but I don't want to, I don't want to be there. I want to be concerned. And I'm just saying as a father of a three-year-old boy back in Three Creeks Kids, when I hear Luke say that boys ages 10 to 14, that that's going up, I'm thinking I've got seven years with my son before he's in that window. Would you know what to do if somebody close to you, someone in your family, a close friend, would you know what to do if you sensed that they were depressed, that they were seriously suffering from a real depression, that they were having suicidal thoughts? Would you know what to do? If you asked them and they shared with you that they were having suicidal thoughts, that they had a plan to do it, would you know what to do? For the next few minutes, I just want to talk about three things, and I'm going to be brief about all three of them. The first is that I want to theologically and biblically ask the question, what does God think about suicide? The second thing is, as a church, practically, what can we do to help people in pain and be collectively better prepared to save lives? And finally, if you find yourself sitting here today and you're suffering from depression or you've considered hurting yourself, if you have a plan to do so, 
I just want to tell you that I don't think it's a coincidence that you're here today, and I want to elaborate on that just briefly at the end. First, theologically, biblically, what does God think about suicide? What does the Bible say about it? The Bible is not just a story about the fall or the folly of man and the love of Christ, God sending him to save us. That's the story of the Bible, but that's not all that's in here. Another thing that is undoubtedly in here all over the place is the presence of evil, a real palpable evil, an evil that is active on the earth today. And I don't think you disagree with me. I don't think you can disagree with that one, that there is evil to ignore the, the impact or the reality of Satan, the father of evil, would be fooling ourselves and misleading others. Because frankly, I don't think anything in life makes sense without Genesis 3 and the fall of man when evil entered in. And so Adam, in, in the beginning, God is in heaven and man is in paradise and all is well. And God says, you can have it all. It's all yours. There's one rule. Genesis 2, 17, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And in comes evil. In comes Satan in the form of a serpent, and he promised that Adam and Eve could be their own gods. And he convinces them that God's only rule is wrong. Adam and Eve had been warned that this act would lead to death. And they did it anyways. And so what we learn from the first pages of the Bible is that God gives life and Satan takes it away. God creates life and Satan tries to destroy it. God calls us into the light to live and Satan tempts us into the shadows to die. And when Satan showed up in the Bible... When he shows up on the scene in the very beginning, he convinces Adam and Eve to kill themselves. And so if you've ever heard a voice urging you to hurt yourself, that you're not worth anything, that you should kill yourself, just know that that is not the voice of God. That's the voice of Satan. It's been his calling card since day one. The most consistent thing about Satan is that he never tells the truth. He never tells the truth. Jesus calls him the father of lies in John 8. He takes the truth and he twists it. And what's even, what makes it even more dangerous is that he tries to convince you that his lies are the truth. And he feeds them to you. You're not good enough. You're not trying hard enough. You're broken and unfixable. Nothing matters. Being alone is better. It'd be better if I wasn't here. You'll never amount to anything. Suicide is the way out. Lies on lies on lies. And you heard Colin and Aaron verbalize that, that those, are the, those are the lies that were being fed to them in their darkest times. And without, without someone or something consistent in your life pointing you to the truth, it can become very easy to believe that those lies are the truth. If you isolate yourself and do it your way and don't spend time in community or at church or with people that love God, it's easy to start believing that those are true. Because if you say, I'm not good enough, I say what the Bible says, well, you're worth dying for. God, 
God sent his son, you, you say, I, you're, not, you're not trying hard enough. Well, the good news is that Jesus did all of the heavy lifting. You're broken and unfixable. The Bible says that Jesus can heal you. That's the truth. You get fed the lie that nothing matters. Well, the Bible says that you matter, that you were knit together in your mother's womb. In the darkness, God made you. Being alone is better. No, it's not. The Bible says that two is better, that a cord of three is not easily broken. It'd be better if I wasn't here. The Bible says there's a purpose for your life. You'll never amount to anything. God has a plan for your life. That's what the Bible says. Suicide is the way out. That's a lie. No, it's not. God gave you your life, and Satan tries to lie to you and take it away. The truth is that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die so that we don't have to. God is so life-giving that he puts eternal life on the table as his offer to us. If you look at the way that Satan interacts with Job, for those of you that are more familiar with the Bible, if you look at the way that Satan interacts with Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4, if you look at the way that Satan interacts with Judas Iscariot, in Luke it says that Satan entered into Judas and then Judas goes and hangs himself, you see that when Satan comes on the scene, death is coming right behind him. Satan is all, always for death, and Jesus said, I came so that you may have life and have life to the full. And this is the last thing I'll say about just biblically, what we see in the Bible, theologically, is that when Satan came in onto the scene in Genesis 3, he convinced Adam and Eve to break that one rule. And in doing so, they essentially broke the world. The world does not function like it was originally designed to function. Therefore, there is incredible pain. In this life, on this earth, there is incredible pain. And the older you get, the more pain that you feel. And so Satan tries to get you to live this short life on this broken earth and, and drive you to hopelessness and despair. And he tries to get us to take our lives away. But, but the message of the Bible is that there is hope and that there is healing and there's reconciliation, not just for the whole world one day when God's going to make it all right, but for us and our hearts and our souls in the meantime. This is the message of the Bible, that in the middle of this brokenness, that there can be hope, there can be peace, there can be healing. Number two, as a church, how do we practically help people in pain and be collectively better prepared to save lives? C.S. Lewis quoted in The Weight of Glory that all Christians, all Christians, have a duty to save a drowning man. He says, if we live on the coast, we might have to learn life-saving skills so that we are prepared to save any drowning man who shows up. And when it comes to suicide, we are all, quote-unquote, living on the coast. And I want our church to be prepared to help save a friend who is over their head in a sea of depression. So as a church, I want you to know that we're doing hopefully lots of things. A couple things is that every single Sunday, we've got a prayer team back there. We've got, and, and frankly, if I'm just being honest, I really wish that we would use that a little bit more frequently. 
Some Sundays there's a couple people, some Sundays there's not. I just, I really wish our church would take advantage of the folks that show up early to come and pray for you, that want to pray with you. There's people there. Every Sunday, we're going to teach the Bible. We're going to speak the truth. And, and in, in my mind, I, I think as I write these, I'm going, I'm trying to outshout the lies. We're being lied to incessantly, and I'm trying to outshout the lies. We're going to teach from the Bible. And we have community groups. Colin talked about it. Let that be the commercial. It changes life. You don't have to be alone. So as a church, we have these things set up. But then as individual people, as individual people, I, uh, I just read this book, short commercial. It's called Hope Always. I don't think I've ever talked to my dad about suicide in all of my life. Just wasn't really a topic that came up. And this past weekend, eight days ago, I went to my dad's. I went to visit my parents. He said, Joel, I just went to a conference. The, the, the speaker there was a doctor. He talked about mental health. He wrote a book about suicide. I got it for you. And as he was handed it to me, on the drive to visit my dad, I was brainstorming ways to get out of this message. Like, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to preach it. I wanted somebody else to talk about it. And he handed me this book, and it has been so helpful for me and my understanding. I just want to share one thing that is in here, and, and I thought it was really valuable for me. I hope it is for you. When Peter writes to the, to the believers that are scattered all over the world, he says to them, Love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. He's talking about a sincere love for one another. People who love one another deeply are willing to ask difficult questions. They're willing to ask hard questions. And in this book, it kind of lays this out. I thought it was so helpful. This is a practical way that our church can love one another deeply. The first question is this. If you notice somebody, if somebody that you love is feeling down or feeling disengaged, question number one, I've noticed you seem a little bit down lately. Can you share what's going on? And I know that seems simple, but isn't it easier to talk about football? Isn't it easier to talk about food? I've noticed you seem a little bit down lately. Can you share what's going on? And if they say, I'm fine, lean in again so that we can love one another deeply. And if they share some of the struggles that are going on, depressive thoughts, if they're honest about that, if they go there with you, question number two is direct. Have you thought about hurting yourself? Have you thought about hurting yourself? And that, that's... I know, the, I know the feeling. It's like, well, if I, if I bring it up, if I bring up hurting themselves, then that, they probably didn't think about that. And I'm giving them an idea. That's not true. That's not true. And I also understand you go, like, if I ask, like, have you considered hurting yourself? And they say no, then they might think that I think that they're crazy. But you guys, this is, these are the kind of questions that we ask to show that we love one another. All of the research shows that people want to be asked and they want to be stopped and they want to share the burden. They want to share the burden of where they're at. Depression continues and worsens over time because nobody asks them hard questions. And so to love one another deeply, we ask. And the third question, it's the most direct. Do you have a plan to hurt yourself? Do you have a plan to hurt yourself? And do you know what to do if somebody says yes 
because I, frankly, I didn't know what to do. And I read this book and I looked at some other things and it's clear, it's at that moment, either one, call 911, or two, if, it's, if you're certain that they can be safe, you put them in the car and you take them to the emergency room. And they're going to say things like, well, my dog and my insurance, and you don't listen to those things because if they grabbed their chest and said they couldn't breathe, you wouldn't care about their dog. To love one another deeply, we gotta ask the deep questions. And I just, I wanna be the church that talks about it now. Lastly, if you're here today and you can identify more with what Colin or Aaron was saying about where they were at, if you can identify with that more than anything else today, if you, if you would go, man, I know that I'm suffering from depression. I've had suicidal thoughts. And if those lies are really loud, I just want you to know that I, I do not believe that it's a coincidence that you are here today. In 2011, I got to be a camp director at a place called Beulah Beach. And a girl named Amy showed up at camp on Sunday. I didn't even meet Amy. Amy was talking with another one of our leaders. On the first night of camp, on that Sunday night, Amy told her leader, I almost killed myself last night, but I decided to give it one more week. I decided to come to camp and try to have a good time, but my plan is to do it on Friday when I get home. And I, I mean, I was like 23, completely overwhelmed. What? What? I don't know how she got to camp. I don't know who signed her up. I don't even know if she wanted to come in the first place. I don't know who she came with. I don't really know what inspired her to say something. I, I wasn't even there. But what I know to be true is that Amy that week on Wednesday, for the first time ever, gave her life to Jesus and became a Christian surrendered her life to Jesus and she went home and she never followed through with her plan and I'm not trying to say that to say that like there's a magic pill out there I'm just trying to say that to, to help you understand that, that God takes us places and, and God brings us places and he, he brings people into our lives at different times and to speak truth I'm just saying that in the same way that Amy wasn't at Beulah Beach by coincidence, you're not here by coincidence. This is the providence of God. It's the protective care of God that you're here today. And I want you to hear me say as the pastor of this church that we care about you, that we really care about you, that we want to talk with you and we want to walk with you for as long as it takes. And if you don't believe me, I, I, I just dare you to give us a shot. I dare you to give us a shot. We want to know how you're doing. This is not a place where we all put the mask on and go, good, good, good. This is the place where we are who we are and we walk and we talk all the way through it together. In closing, I want to just read just a couple verses of scripture. 
And after I'm done reading these, I'm going to get off the stage. And Brandon's going to come sing one final song. It's not really one that we're going to sing along as much as it's going to be a one that I want you to take time to, to pray about this. And, and I want you to think about a couple things. Number one is that there's some folks that are going to be in the back who would love to pray with you. Whether it's you or someone close to you going through some of what we're talking about, we would love to pray with you. And, and, and maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe this is where you're at. We want to give that invitation to you. The other thing, if, you, if you're sitting here going, man, this isn't where I'm at, maybe just consider asking God, praying, who's in my life that might need me to step in and love them deeply? Who's in my life that might need me to step out and love them deeply and ask them questions? Loving each other is a text. Loving each other deeply is you show up. You visit them. Know what I'm saying? I think there's a difference. Let me read these. Psalm 34, 19 says that the righteous person faces many trials, troubles, but the Lord comes to rescue every time. Isaiah 43, 19 says, I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers, rivers in the dry wasteland. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I'm telling you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And here's the last one and maybe my favorite one. Romans 8 says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have to face trouble or calamity, if we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Three Creeks, God loves you and so do we. And I hope that these next five minutes as we sing this song are a time where you can talk with God about where you're really at. And maybe you might want to talk to us too. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, to visit us in person, or to give online, visit threecreekschurch.com.